0: that hiring manager still has a view of that candidate's experience and skills without being exposed to their race, gender, or ethnicity to make that best and objective decision. Don't conduct your analysis in isolation because data is so incredibly powerful. Not defending just
1: the tribe, but defending the organization.
2: Those creative people that you really want to keep empowered, keep excited, keep motivated, keep thinking. A good
1: experience pays dividends
2: down the line. Stereotypes tend to break down in
1: proximity. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast about human resources, business, technology, and the workplace. My name is Bing Eubanks, your host, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey everyone, it's Ben here. This interview that you're gonna hear today was recorded pre-COVID. Yes, it was one of the last conversations that we had that we recorded before the world seemed to turn upside down. This conversation, however, is particularly relevant today with all the conversations about race in the workplace and in our personal lives. I was really, it was a great conversation and I held it during all the craziness because I wanted to make sure it got the listens that it deserved. I'm really excited for you to hear this, hear some of the ideas. It's a great conversation, about half an hour long, so heads up, but it's a great conversation where we dig into how technology can help us to be less biased in the hiring process. And I know the first thing that you probably think of is all the headlines that you've seen. AI is going to cause us to be more biased in hiring. You know, the, the, There's no chance we're all stuck in this and there's just, it's who we are. Yes unconscious bias is a part of who we are as humans i'm actually working on a presentation right now i'm doing in a few weeks that looks at a couple of dozen different biases that we have that affect how we make decisions and in total there are nearly 200 of them that can affect any decision and again this isn't all about just hiring and just promotion and just reviews and performance and talent management They affect how we make decisions every day what we wear who we talk to how we talk to them how we respond but i think it's important to to remember that there are those things and that's a part of just the the human nature of who we are but that doesn't mean we can't fight back against those whether it's using technology it's using smarter processes we have some checks and balances we have different things to help us make that happen and we'll talk about some of those different tools today in the conversation so i hope you enjoy this i hope you take notes and if you're looking for more ideas on how to be more inclusive in your hiring we'd love to share with you some of the data we have some of the conversations we have uh, both on the vendor side and also with employers that are fighting fighting the good fight trying to make headway here we're actually going be participating with a, one of our clients in an upcoming anti-racism forum for business leaders including hr but also for business leaders this is one of those bring your manager kind of thing you bring your hiring manager kind of things to involve them in the conversation. It's not—it's going to be completely free because we're trying to spread the message, bring some great panelists and experts to talk about this, and we'll be talking more about that in the coming weeks. But I'll get out of the way now. On to the show. Hey, everybody. This has been Eubanks. Welcome We are Only Human. Really glad to have you here today. Goodness, we've had so many good conversations already this year, and we're, we're just barely... One quarter into it, it seems like. And so we're gonna we're gonna have another good one today. I'm really excited, and we don't always do this, but today I have the opportunity, the pleasure, the joy of having two separate guests join because they both share different perspectives on this important topic we're gonna dig into. So today we're gonna talk about diversity hiring. We're gonna talk about trying to find the right people, we're gonna try to talk about how employers are doing that and attacking that problem. And here to talk to us, we have the team, the leadership team at Tal Vista. They'll, they'll tell us more about what they do there, but that that's one of the focus areas of the company is really helping employers to get better at the diversity hiring practices and to give them some structure, some frameworks to do that. So I'm excited to have Scott and Elaine here with us. Welcome, guys.
0: Thanks for having me. Us.
1: We're excited to
2: be here, definitely. <laughs> 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 he
1: excluded you immediately, Elaine. Goodness gracious, <laughs> it's, already, it's already turning turning <laughs> south, and I thought Scott was going to be nice to you today. Okay. Yeah. So, um, Elaine, ladies first, I want to start with you. Tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do.
2: All right. Well, my name is Elaine Orler and I have been in the talent acquisition industry space now for 27 plus years and I started when I was 2, so you can do the math. <laughs> but um, my focus has predominantly been around getting talent acquisition right and uh, adjusting that equation based on what the market indicators are as well as what the businesses need to do. So, I have focused most of my career on the consulting side of the equation with people process and technology and then jumped into Diversity and inclusion in the recruiting space with Scott um, almost two years ago. Um, head first, uh, didn't check the water temperature or the depth. We're just going to make it happen. So excited to talk a little bit more about what we're doing at Tal Vista and why we're doing it.
1: Awesome. Very cool. Scott, how about you?
0: Who could not love having a partner like that? Um, <laughs> my name is Scott Sessions. Uh, Elaine and I got together a little over two years ago to create Tal Vista. Uh, to help people of all walks of life have the opportunity to have their next great adventure and opportunity. A little bit about my background. I've been in the HR and TA space now for a little over 10 years, and I've told uh, people that this will be the last industry that I work in. I have an eclectic background, having worked in uh, genealogy and family history, uh, in digital forensics, working with law enforcement uh, all of the opportunities I've had have been really focused on people and helping them to either connect with their their past through their ancestry, or protect them from terrorists and child pedophiles, or obtain their next great adventure. Uh, having worked myself at Higher View for uh, a little over seven years, and now with Elaine to help people, as I said at the beginning achieve their next great opportunity, regardless of who they are. So I'm passionate about helping people uh, realize their greatest dreams.
1: Awesome. Very cool. I don't want to speak for Elaine, but I think she'd be excited to work with someone like you, too. It sounds like you guys have a really cool <laughs> set of backgrounds that blend together very well. So I've already I've already made uh, made an allusion to it. I pointed it out. We're going to talk about diversity hiring because that's the, the area you both have some expertise in. And so I want to kind of set the stage a little bit. Um, I actually wrote a piece a few weeks ago around the tight labor market and one of the one of the things that we can tell looking at the actual data on unemployment is even though unemployment is historically low, if you look at employment for diversity categories, for minority categories, those are still higher than non-minority categories. And so I want to kind of set the stage, maybe this is a softball, but I'd love to hear from from one of you. Can employers really still tap into that source of talent today and how can they do that?
2: I think I get to jump into this one first, and whether I do or don't, I'm taking it. <laughs> so, uh, the, I think the, the super short answer is yes. And employers today are more conscious of the of the opportunity to have an inclusive workforce, but more conscious of the value proposition as we see more and more statistical data come out about higher performing organizations because of of that inclusion, because of that ability to see. Um, the differences and work together versus the similarities and the same outcome. So as we think about it in talent acquisition and the opportunity that exists, I think it's always been an important measure, what I'm sure we'll dive into in the conversation at some point in time, and is always the challenge of the difference between inclusion and EEO reporting. And I think there's so often that organizations get stuck on reporting the data for compliance, uh, when we really could be talking about where inclusion is adding business value. Mm,
1: I love that point. Well, that reminds me I was I had the chance to talk to some some leaders in TA a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions that we kicked around as a group, because I I honestly don't I don't mm-hmm. know the answer, but I want wanted to hear from them was we hear all the the time about, we have to hire for fit, we have to hire for fit, but if we're just hiring for this cookie cutter person, we're going to miss that opportunity to have this environment that includes those other perspectives and the other value points people can bring, so um, as you said, we're going to probably dig into those pieces of it through the conversation today, but that was one of the things that I I thought of as you were talking, is we, yes, I get the need to hire for someone that, that believes in general the kind of cultural things that your company believes in, otherwise it might be chaos, but that doesn't mean you have to take one of those employees and rubber stamp them and and copy them and uh, hope that that's going to get you get you uh, to where you're going to go. So
2: I would just I'm going to add to that, too, because there 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 is such a misconception, even in even in different organizations and how they talk about hiring for fit is a perfect example. Um, You know, fit as in what, you know, I need another person that looks and acts and behaves just like this person. Well, I would challenge that. Yes, but. I need somebody who can perform the capabilities of the job, and we're not going to diminish those capabilities just to pretend that we're diverse, but we're going to make sure that everybody who can do those capabilities is equally considered. That to me is fit, and how we do that um, is it is work, but it's bringing everybody up to that same level opportunity up to bat because I'm a baseball fan by. at heart. So I will probably use that analogy through this whole conversation, but bringing everybody up to bat equally is what's, what it's really about.
1: Okay. So I'm going to, if that was the softball question, this is going to be a harder one. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to pitch one across that I see I'm in the baseball analogies already. I can't get out of it now. Thanks Elaine. Um, I'm going to pitch one, pitch one across that I think is, is a harder one to answer. It might, and we'll see. So that conversation, I was actually re- referencing that one again, to talking to the TA leaders. One of the things that someone said in the room is on a macro level, like everyone believes and agrees that diversity and equity is a good thing. Like at a, at a leadership level, there's not a CEO that would, would not agree with that statement. But when it comes down to the individual hire, that, ind- that specific position, that person, like you were saying a minute ago, Elaine, like we've got to decide, do we get someone just like what we have or do we do we get someone that's more diverse or not? When it comes down to the actual hire, there's sometimes some pressure or less pressure to actually make that decision in an unbiased way, or to make that decision for the diversity hire. And I want to know, like, why? Where's the breakdown?
0: Well, let, let me jump in on that one, Ben. So uh, we we agree, buy-in happens and should happen at the top. And as it comes down, sometimes those pressures around time to hire start to really apply force. And they're like, my, my manager said they need this person next week. I don't have time to go through these diversity processes that that everybody's supporting. And so I've just got to choose somebody and go. We would say that that is the time that you really need to focus on good diversity hiring practices. Because when we fall back on short time, we really have our biases that make an impact both as a recruiter and as a hiring manager. And so the tools that we provide actually fill in seamlessly to the recruiting process that time really doesn't become a factor. But now you have tools to keep you true to making a more conscious decision rather than falling back or not even being aware of falling back on old Uh, preferences or prejudices, if you will, that cause you to make a selection of a candidate that may not be, as, as Elaine was just talking, the best fit, but you feel most comfortable with that. So it's important from our perspective that going through this process, you're utilizing tools that don't add time, but really enhance the ability to follow through on the vision that that the CEO has had and, and is pushing down through the ranks.
1: I love that. You said use the word comfortable there, and I, I think that's a that's a part of it, right? The, the bias in hiring. There's some of them are very obvious, and we, we it is our job as as talent leaders to attack those and to, and to fight against those at every opportunity. And when when managers say, yeah, I'm not sure about picking her or about picking him because it just doesn't seem like the right fit, or I don't feel you know, I don't feel comfortable about that. Well, that's not a good enough reason. I'm sorry. I can't write that one down on the form that I'm that I'm turning in on, you know, my recommendations to support whoever you're going to hire. I can't support that. I've got to have something more concrete. Like, we're going to have to get really, really serious about this. And sometimes it came down to an actual specific skill. Okay, that's a gap. I understand. And sometimes it, it never materializes to an actual reason why they couldn't hire that person, and we had to really have some tough conversations. And that's not fun. That's not pleasant. But at the end of the day, it creates the right kind of environments when we talk about psychological safety at work and everything else like that creates that kind of environment when everyone feels like you know what we trust each other enough to have those tough conversations and that lead to the right outcomes hopefully
2: well and i'm
0: glad you said that we trust each other we need to be we need to be confident in the macro decision to implement it at the micro level and when we have those trainings and tools available, our confidence goes up significantly at that micro level that we're still making really good objective decisions and we're putting our subjectivity, our comfort, our familiarity, our biases aside to make the most objective and best decision for the company.
1: We'll be right back to We're Only Human in just a moment. If you're enjoying today's conversation, I highly encourage you to check out the HR Summer School replay on demand over at humanresourcesacademy.org. That replay has insights into how we can, as business leaders, apply these inclusive approaches, not just to hiring, which is critical, but also to other areas of talent management, to benefits, to financial wellness, to education, learning, talent, how we support people inside our business. There are no two people that are exactly alike, and taking a broader approach, taking a strategic approach to that can lead to better outcomes, better results. We had some world-class leaders and teachers talking about their areas of expertise and their specialties. I highly encourage you to check it out over at humanresourcesacademy.org. Now, back to the show. All right, let's let's move in another direction a little bit because we talked around the topic. We talked about some of the theory. I'd love to hear some actual, some tangible kinds of things that you're seeing. Um, you, again, you guys work with a lot of customers that make this a priority. Any company that's saying, we want to make sure we're doing this right, they're, they're working with you probably in, that, in some regard. And so what's working for some of the customers you're working with? You know, what kind of results are they seeing? I'm, I'd be really curious to understand some more of those things so that people listening can, can get some advice there.
2: Sure. And I'm going to take this one to start. I'm sure Scott's going to correct everything that I say at this point <laughs> going forward, um, just to be inclusive in the conversation. But the I think a couple of things that we're seeing in the early adopters of our solution, and again, as, as we've launched Telvista as the product and platform, uh, the intention is, is that it is for decision support. We don't want to take the decision away from the human. We want to enable the human to bring their best self forward when it comes to doing the work that they need to do. And so often we could we could spend a whole conversation talking about just our brain and the way in which our brain operates. Um, I subscribe to a really, really interesting book called Thinking Fast and Slow and um, have read it multiple times now. I've also done the audio book encourage you not to do the audiobook while driving because there's a reason why, but the concept of that being that our brain is – we're naturally gravitating towards familiar equals safe is kind of the baseline. And so where we can be in that that relationship, we are able to do a lot more things a lot faster. And when we think about how we're selecting candidates, how candidates are even opting in to look at jobs – they're also still applying this. This is that unconscious piece of our mind that says, I don't need to apply extra energy in this thought because this thought looks like a past thought, looks like a past experience. Render past experience results, stay on track. It's almost like stay within the lines, do not change, change lanes. And so our solution from that decision support perspective actually allows you to retrain the way in which you think about things to adjust for familiar equals safe in a different way. So job description optimization is one of the first components and that allows for the organization to look at the description through the lens of what terms are problematic, or what terms are inclusive based on different demographics. It's not just designed for one category of male, masculine versus feminine, but disability, ethnicity, et cetera, and so what we're doing is profiling the words that have by research been declared problematic terms in research, that they create in the mindset familiar, not familiar, unsafe, or not comfortable. And so just by looking at which words can be replaced, how those words might be replaced with words that have already been researched and studied to be inclusive or neutral, you can bring that description up to a point where our customers on average see about a 30% increase in diverse candidates that immediately express interest. So I'm not saying that everybody is fully qualified. We are not doing the minimum calls. What we're doing is ensuring that the description isn't immediately um a detractor to all classifications. So by the nature of that, the 30% increase in diverse candidates, you're already starting your pipeline and your funnel in a way that's going to improve your potential end results. So that's part one. And then that's not even, I think that is amazing and awesome, but my favorite part of our product, and Scott's going to be like, don't say it, but I'm going to, is the second module because we do um, redacted resume review. And I don't think I've ever seen a more profound moment when you are giving a manager a stack of five to ten resumes to review that you've sourced as a recruiter, and that manager comes back and says, um, I like this one, and you look at the one that you're there, they're responding to, and you're like, why? And they're like, well, he went to the same school as I did, or has the same last name as my nephew, and those are completely irrelevant to the job search. So by redacted resume review, the manager is being um, put into guardrails, decision support that says you're going to look at each of these resumes with the the information that is typically familiar to you, hidden name, address, phone number, contact information, identifiable information related to pronouns or uh, race, gender, ethnicity uh, programs, affiliations, so that now you're just honing that time and attention in, again, putting the guardrails onto the, onto the direction of what you're doing so that you're focused on skills, education, um, experience whatever you deemed as the most important and relevant to this job. So at the end of that, you're not distracted with where familiar sits. Familiar slowly becomes the behavior of familiar is the education, the skills, the values, and in that sense, the results after looking at those candidates as to which one should proceed also improves the overall diverse set of candidates that move forward to interview. And the number one comment we've gotten from managers that have gone through this experience is, I don't know that I would have picked these same candidates had I not done it redacted. And I'm so impressed with the fact that this is teaching me where my brain is making bad decisions and how to make better ones.
1: Hmm. Scott, you want to give her the thumbs up? Anything to add there?
0: Well, my my addition would be just two short anecdotes, which are... um, we have clients that come in hopeful that it's going to achieve what they want to achieve with a, health, a healthy dose of skepticism. And I was talking with uh, our VP of diversity and inclusion who we provide as a resource to our clients and who, who shared back saying this one particular client was so pleased that they are already in a short period of time seeing an increase in diverse candidates applying because of their optimized job description. So it, it's okay to be skeptical when you mix that with the hope and, and the, the strategy of I'm going to do something and to begin seeing immediate results, they are they they couldn't be happier. That's anecdote number one. Number two, um, this this our same VP of, of diversity and inclusion was doing some training and demonstrating to another client that when a candidate doesn't have a resume or CV, that you can extract the uh, the LinkedIn profile in PDF and drop that right into our resume redactor as well. And as Elaine said, that personal identifying information is redacted. So now that hiring manager still has a view of that candidate's experience and skills without being exposed to their race, gender, or ethnicity to make that best and objective decision. So they were they were thrilled with that because they do a lot of uh, passive sourcing The candidates may not have a resume. They don't even know they're being looked at, but by pulling in that LinkedIn profile, that enables that recruiter to share a passive source candidate with a hiring manager that otherwise they wouldn't have seen. So those are those are a couple of exciting wins for us that we're helping and, and servicing our clients with
1: i love the i love the example of the redacted resumes because that's one of those things it's hard to hard to think about how you would do that other than having some sort of tool to make it happen and i i talked to a company actually last year that that did this for for a couple of their hiring managers who were just completely stuck on that comfort zone we keep talking about if they don't have this this degree, they don't count. If they don't have this school on their resume or this competitor you know, on their resume, I don't want to see them, even though they were perfectly qualified candidates that didn't have those things. And so that company actually took took those hiring managers, put them in the back of the room, brought in a handful of candidates and asked them a few questions just to generally get a baseline of their capabilities, their experiences, things like that. And at the end of the session said, okay, hiring manager, which one do you want? They said, okay, number one, number three, and number four. I like them best. And then they gave them the resume. they were like, oh, by the way, none of these were from that school that you require, or none of these have that competitor's experience, right? The same kind of thing there. If that's not scalable, that was one way to kind of break that logjam for them. But this redacted resume thing is just like that. It gets them past those things that they think are a requirement and forces them to really think about the actual job duties, what they have to do, what they're going to rely on that person to do, because in their, their daily work, I'm, I'm sure that Scott and Elaine, you don't run across people that say, wait a minute, you didn't go to this school. You know, I don't, I don't think that you have anything to say. You're nothing important, you know, that you can share. Um, But in the job search process, for some reason, uh, that comfort piece probably managers get stuck on those things. So I'm always a fan of finding ways to get around those roadblocks and really help to get to better and more inclusive decisions.
2: And I'll just say I love that example, and I would I would just add the component because sometimes we get into this concept of the hiring manager and, and their behavior, and I hiring managers don't inherently want to do what's wrong. But going back to the way our brain works and imagining everything that they have to do in the day um, and the bad behaviors of past become the um, – if I break any one thing in this whole concept of – Of inclusive-based recruiting, it will be that hiring manager telling the recruiter, "Just send me all the resumes, and I'll know it when I see it." Because you won't—you clearly won't know it when you see it, because you're looking. Your brain wants familiar, and you need to focus on what is relevant. And so that this is just that opportunity to truly know it when you see it by knowing it by relevancy to the job and what the requirements are, not by what is familiar. So. Um, I get really jazzed when the managers are always the ones saying, "Wow, I had no idea that um, that that this is what the outcome is," and I'm willing to go forward with it. And a few have come back to say that I don't want to look at resumes any other way because I don't. I want to ensure that I'm doing the right thing as I go forward. And as Scott and I use a phrase constantly, but we're driving towards conscious inclusion. I don't want to talk about unconscious bias. Everybody has it. But if we focus on how we create conscious inclusion in the workforce and the way in which we do work, people lean into that as an opportunity.
1: Yes. I'm glad you said that piece, Elaine, too, about they're not trying to do the wrong thing because there are some that you and I have all worked with them. There are some that, that might have that kind of uh, inclination. but. For the most part, those are the, the exception, not the rule. For the most part, managers want to make a good decision, and they're they're trying to do the very best they can amidst a hundred other things on their plate. And so helping them to, to nudge them, everything else, those pieces you, you keep referring to, the the, psych, the psychology behind this, but that's a part of it, like nudging them to help them make the right choices, just like um, we want to be nudged to make the right eating choices in life or, or whatever, whatever example you want to use. Mm-hmm. The, the little nudges can help us to think, think outside that normal track, that normal routine, and, and consider a different kind of approach. So I love that. Let's say someone's listening to this and they say, this is really helpful. This is really interesting. I'd love to make a bigger impact on my company. I want to get better at, at hiring on a more inclusive basis. Where do I start? Any advice you might give that company?
2: Oh, I have a bad example and a good example. Right. Uh, On that one to to jumpstart, and I'm sure Scott will have some more to to feed into this. But as um, I was in a conversation, I'm going to keep all of the guilty nameless. But it was in a conversation where it came up to we really need to improve our diversity recruiting. So what we want to do is ensure that. Um, we're guaranteeing opportunities to the diverse candidates, and I my red flags all go up in that because the conversation quickly steered away from qualified to now just categorical, and, and I thought, oh, this is so what perpetuates the wrong behavior, and so as we started that conversation, we dug in deeper, I said – when it's all apples to apples on qualified candidates, when they're all already minimally qualified and you, and you have an opportunity to provide a diverse slate, that's a difference. That's a data management technique. That's not just a, I'm going to commit to ensuring these folks get moved forward even if they don't meet quals. That's what destroys our reputation as, um, and the difference, I think, between what diversity hiring is versus inclusion-based uh, workforce. So that's the negative. What I'm going to say is don't do that to everybody who's thinking that way or what's the fast win. There is no fast win in that. The opportunity is to take a look at where in your process you might have your choke points because every organization is different. Some have an amazing funnel that are bringing in a large percentage of diverse candidates, but the choke point is somewhere else and you have to just be willing to look in the mirror and address where that choke point is what is what's the decisioning that's happening at that moment that's changing the percentage of population moving forward in that cycle and then from there the tool sets are are pretty simple yes case in point we have we can help with the job description piece to make sure that the the top end of the funnel is is inclusive for all to be considered then we can help with the resume redaction piece to make sure that those that are going through review to be considered for interview um, are also getting a fair a fair and equal evaluation. And then the third piece is um, how you structure your interviews to make sure that your interview team and your logic and the way in which you're making a decision at the interview stage is also not disrupted with that thinking fast mode equals safe. So if everybody, um, and the classic example on that one I will always say is if you do nothing else, Break the theory that you'll just wait until you find out what the one person thinks of the interview, and then everybody else will nod in agreement. Everybody should be providing interview feedback in advance of anybody else sharing so that you have a fair representation of the results. But those are the, number one, find your choke points, understand where those issues are, and start from there and work your way out And then the second is don't start with I'll just make diversity candidates proceed, even though they're not minimally qualified.
0: Got it.
1: How about you, Scott?
0: My my advice would be be aware of what you, the things you don't know, you don't know, which sounds really basic, right? But you have to search and you have to understand there are things that you know, that you know, you don't know. And so move forward with that. This is going to sound very self-serving and like we teed this up, but we just posted a, an article on our blog a couple of days ago from uh, one of our partners, uh, Cielo Talent, the CEO, and the title is, Fear is the Mask Opportunity Wears. And so it, she talks about, look, we all have fears, We're, we all are uncertain, but we need to utilize those for our benefit and turn them into a strength wow, is is somebody going to look badly on me because I'm bringing forth this idea to help in our diversity efforts? Perhaps, but bring it forward and embrace that so that you can make good strides toward improved objective decision-making in that diversity hire and improve the overall outcome of diversity hires. So embrace your fear, bring it forward, and uh, get away from the typical term of FOMO, fear of missing out, and embrace it and move forward um, so that you can ultimately see great results. We've seen when people engage and and bring forward a more diverse workforce that they have, one, better employee engagement because they know the company is behind that. Two, there are better financial returns. When you have a diverse mindset, you're getting um, more diverse ideas that come in versus, a single type of idea from a single type of uh, persona. And those different ideas bring greater innovation. And those innovations bring to the company better revenue streams because when you're more innovative and you're creating better products, more money is going to be brought into the company. So those are some of my ideas and recommendations around how you should approach better diversity.
1: I love it. I love it. Some really good stuff there. Some good
0: practical things too. And
1: that last, some of the last things you shared there, Scott, I would encourage everybody to go and just do a little bit of searching, Lots of good stuff on HBR and some other good reputable research sources that highlight and reinforce the value that a more inclusive environment has for the entire organization. And that makes it much easier to try to build a business case or to bring an idea when it's not just Scott's idea, but when it's, Hey, The the data says, the data say that we can impact the business in a better way. We might be, you know, providing better customer service. We might have better revenue or some other kind of outcome if we are more inclusive. And that starts at the very beginning with how we're hiring people and how we're bringing them in and feeding the organization, the rest of the talent. So some really, really good things there and very much appreciate both you sharing those. If someone wants to learn more, wants to connect with either of you or the company, what's the best way to do that?
0: Uh, you can go straight out to talvista.com. Easy to find. You can uh, always get in touch with me on Twitter at Scott Sessions. There's one T in Scott. Or Elaine is at Elaine Orler on Twitter. Um, and and we're always happy to talk and and share more uh, about how we might be able to be of service and partner with you. Awesome.
1: I know that I've learned a lot from each of you, and appreciate you sharing helping me, helping everybody else to understand more about how to be inclusive in hiring. I really appreciate both of you for joining me on the show today.
2: Thank you for having us. It's been a lot of fun. Looking forward to doing these again.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Dan. Enjoyed it. Awesome. Hope to see both of you on the road this year at some point in an event or a conference. Um, Fingers crossed. We'll hopefully make that happen. Um, To everybody else, thank you for joining us on today's episode. I'm Ben Eubanks, your host, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm honored to have you as a listener. If you enjoyed this episode, please take 10 seconds to rate it at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you know a friend that could benefit from today's conversation, please pass it their way. After all, a rising tide lifts all ships. To see show notes, sponsor information, and our full show archives, visit onlyhumanshow.com.